Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. everybody this is episode 32 of the talking chop podcast i am your host brad roland and today with me a familiar voice uh, former host of this podcast now frequent guest and uh, always friend of the program carlos Calazo. what's up man what's up brad thanks for having me on glad to be back here with the talking chop podcast and excited to talk some some braves and some braves minor stuff it's a fun time with the season winding down yeah, mid-September uh, of an awful baseball team. Not really the prime time for the <laughs> Atlanta Braves right now, but there's still, th- still stuff to talk about, and uh, we always have fun when we do this together, as we all know. Uh, and welcome back, I should say. Um, hey, sir, let's get into it. Yeah, let's get let's get it going. I guess we'll leave with the minors because uh, we have. I think I created a bit of a firestorm this week on Twitter. Uh, I got a couple. As of, you do. Uh, Fun, fun questions about uh, why we do so much minor league coverage, which I, which I passed along to Eric Cole, talking chop prospect <laughs> guru. He did not handle that well. He did not enjoy that uh, inquiry. So with that, we'll leave with prospects because that's, that's what I do. Hey, um, let's go. I'm the ultimate troll. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, the Rome Braves uh, won the South Atlantic League this week. Uh, they are champions of the world in the South Atlantic League. That doesn't really make any sense, but alas – Rome won the title, and Gwinnett, uh, while they didn't win the title, they made the championship of the International League, uh, the AAA team. So I guess it was a good week. I know now the minor season is officially over, and we'll certainly have Eric or, or someone from the prospect side to wrap things up in the next week or two. But I wanted to at least mention that uh, Rome is the champs, and they, you know, that, that team was basically loaded and dominant by the end of the year. So it's, it's worth mentioning. Were you, did, were you following this closely? Were you living and dying on every pitch for the Rome Braves? Uh, I wasn't living and dying, no. Unfortunately, I couldn't really afford to keep up with the Rome Braves as much as I otherwise would have liked to. But, no, as you mentioned, this team is loaded. And I know minor league success doesn't always correlate to a a talented farm system. But with Rome this year, that's certainly the case. I know J.J. Cooper with Baseball America was talking about uh, the depth of this rotation for this team. And he said it's one of the best that he's ever seen on one uh, with one one team in the minors. you got Colby Allard, Max Freed, Mike Soroka, Tuki Toussaint. I mean, those four right there, all those guys have the potential to be top of the rotation guys. Obviously, uh, they still got a little ways to go, but it's nice to see this group uh, have some success. And even going away from the pitchers, you got interesting guys like Lucas Herbert, Austin Riley, obviously people know about, and then Ronald Acuna, who, as far as I know, had, had somewhat of a breakout year this season. Uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong there, but it is that nice is true. that uh, Rome can have some success while Atlanta is... Uh, not really uh, in, in a place to have success at the major league level. But, um, no, these guys are going to be interesting to watch, and uh, congrats to them. 
Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, you know, Gwinnett didn't win it, so they're less interesting anyway. But uh, you <laughs> mentioned the uh, the talent level stuff doesn't really translate. I think that's definitely more true at like AAA, where you know a lot of your top prospects never even really spend much time at AAA. Uh, I think yeah. about Danny Swanson, who was there for like a half a second uh, and then gone again. Um, so, but but you know, Rome's rotation is you mentioned it is absolutely filthy. Soroka is a guy who gets a lot of love on this podcast because Eric loves him so much. Mm-hmm. But uh, Tukey. Max Fried's like come on, very very strong. He had a monster game uh, the other day where he had double digit strikeouts and was dominant yeah, in the playoff in the playoffs. I saw a couple pitching lines and it really seemed like all these guys were really just dealing during this this series. I mean, Tuki struggled, and then I saw a line from him where he had like like eight innings, and I don't I don't remember the line exactly, but it was impressive to see. Obviously, I haven't kept up with him as much as I should have, but I just found this tweet from JJ. Uh, he said, this Braves low-A pitching staff is extremely deep. And th- here's kind of where he hits you with the uh, bucket of cold water. Likely, one one may become an ace. One or two may become solid starting pitchers. One to two relief pitchers. One or two will get hurt. <laughs> like, that's the I'll realistic take, it, take, obviously, but that's still really good. Like, if you get, if you get three pitchers in your starting rotation, everyone's going to take that. So, uh, But it is interesting to think about, like, how these guys will actually project. But I guess if, if we want to just... Celebrate the now, celebrate the present. Them doing well right now—that's that's fine too. Yeah, I just th- I, th- I think it is worth noting the projection stuff. Obviously, um, I think for as much as we say we like these guys, and I do like most of these guys a lot, mm-hmm. it is worth noting that what JJ said and what a common sentiment is among, among people in the industry is that you know you're not all these guys are not going to hit. Some of these guys are going to flame out. It's absolutely a certainty that all not all of these top end. Prospects of the Braves have acquired are going to pan out or even come close to panning out. Uh, a few of these guys are probably going to get stalled in the low minors. Like, that's just what happens or get hurt or something like that. So, I'm trying mm-hmm. not to become too attached to any singular guy. Um, but at the same time, a lot of these guys are really fun. Uh, I mean, I've been, I've said on this podcast how much I like, how much I love Tukey. Max Freed, like, people were, ra- ra- uh, you know, ranting and raving about him um, as, like, potentially the Braves' number one pitching prospect now. That's how good he was at the end of the year. Uh, and yeah. Freed, Freed kind of came back from the dead because he, he was sort of the, the anonymous guy and that, you know, being acquired and kind of being off the radar, but he's come on really strong. That's a name that is worth monitoring. And the, and the guy we haven't talked about too much, we bring him up when we bring up everybody else, but uh, Allard's, you know, former first round pick of mm-hmm. the Braves. So he gets, he gets a lot of love and Tukey's just, his stuff is so absurd, but Freed might be the most polished of all those guys right now. And yeah, uh, no. he kind of flies under the radar. I think the uh, the fun thing with the Braves is that you have so many guys who, any given day, you can make a legit case for them being the top the top arm in the in the farm system, and that's certainly a good problem to have when you have a bunch of guys you really are debating who's the best back and forth when they're all having. Obviously, there's the the comments that Copy had about the major league pitchers not doing that that well this season, and we'll get to that. But um, just the fact that so many guys are having some success down in the minors is 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 really nice to see. Pulling up some of their numbers right now to see if anything just jumps out. But I mean, Allard and Freed, like you said, I know Soroka is always raving, uh, being raved about as well. But yeah, the strikeout numbers that these guys are putting up is just insane. Like Tugi, 128, Sean Newcomb, 144, Mike Soroka, 125. I mean, I can list numbers to you, and but these that's are, not fun. And then, <laughs> I mean, it should be noted, though, for people that don't really pay attention to stuff that much, is that those numbers don't like seem crazy for major leaguers, but these guys are pitching, pitching a lot, a lot fewer innings in yeah. the season. So, like 144 strikeouts in the minor league season is crazy good. Oh, definitely agreed. 
so yeah, that's just worth noting. Uh, congratulations to Rome. Uh, our prospect guys have been documenting their path all the way through. So uh, shout out to that. Go back and read about them uh, on ToggyChop.com. And I wanted to bring that up. Glad you guys are moving to a once a month minor league recaps. It'll be a lot easier for people to get their dose. Shout out to Eric Cole. <laughs> As we troll, Eric, Eric just threw something against the wall as he listens to this. But uh, we're not we're not changing anything, guys. Don't worry. Daily recaps. We're here to stay. They're my favorite thing that we do, to be honest. So uh, mostly because I don't have to do them. But so shout, shout out to those guys. <laughs> but uh, alas, great uh, job. We'll get away from prospects for now and just say, uh, you know, a couple more news items. Uh, Nothing huge, obviously, but Malik Smith is back from the disabled list. It's good to see Malik's back. And also Rio Ruiz, who I can never say his name, is uh, officially a major leaguer, although uh, he had his MLB debut interrupted today uh, kind of hilariously, to be honest. I felt bad for Rio. He was announced as a pinch hitter uh, right as the reins sort of took over uh, at Turner Field, and he... uh, essentially didn't get to hit and you know he's in the box score he didn't get to appear but he was announced but he's not technically made his debut just yet but it's worth noting that Malix is back up with the team only had one only has one plate appearances one and one uh caught stealing so far since returning <laughs> but it is worth noting that Malix is back it's a guy who we've talked about a ton on this podcast and have closely monitored have you changed your mind at all Did- about Malix? I wanted to ask I- you that because you, you're sort of the most famous uh Atlanta Braves Malik Smith critic that's actually really funny because I've probably seen him less than anybody at this point. Cause Perfect. When we when we started all of this, uh, I believe I was a critic of him before we really saw what he he had done. And I feel like a lot of the Braves uh, fam, as we would say on Twitter, uh, has really latched onto him this season. So I I haven't kept up with him too much. He's performed better than I thought he would. To be honest, I'm still a little skeptical that he can turn into an everyday player. I don't yeah, know if that's like I don't know bring if that's him. I don't know if that's blasphemy at this point, but uh I do have to say that I haven't seen him enough to have an educated opinion on it to be honest. I just I'm still not convinced in his offensive profile and I haven't heard anything really that changes my mind for that. But if you if you have anything that that you want to throw back at me, I'd love to hear it. No, it's just, you know, I, I've always been with you on this, to be honest, and I, I, I had a feeling that your, your, your opinion probably hasn't changed a whole lot. Yeah. I just think it's worth noting, since we talked about it early, early on in this podcast about Malix, and while he was better than I thought, I think most people thought he'd be this year, uh, I'm still not convinced that he's going to be a starter. And there's the, uh, the ever-evolving issue of having Ender and Ciarte, who's been really awesome, for about three months now, mm. and really all season, if you look at his, his season long numbers, they are fantastic. He has more than yeah. three, more than three WAR for the year. Like that's a monster starting season for a guy as cheap as he is, et cetera, et cetera. No, I believe in under NCR. Oh, I know you do, yeah. and I, I just <laughs> want to say that, but because like Malik's, in order to be a, I, I think for me, a good major league starting player, he has to be a center fielder. Because the power is just not there, you don't you don't want a guy like that in the corner. I don't think his arm's not that great either. Um, and with Ender is already a very very good center fielder mm-hmm. and a cheap guy who's under contract, that kind of puts a crink in Malik's. Because uh, I think for a long term, this is me talking, but I'm not sure I want to build a roster with Malik Smith playing left field. And uh, you want a better hitter in that spot, yeah. So and I I've said for next year if they. You know, if they roll back this same unit and they go with um, Enciarte and Malix, I'd rather have Malix play center, Enciarte play right. That's more. That's more. More has to do with defense and arm strength. But mm-hmm. again, you don't want and you don't want Enciarte playing right field because his bat doesn't play there. That guy's, oh, yeah. that guy's a center fielder, a three-four-one player. That's what you want him to do. So that kind of puts Malix in a weird spot. 
So Malik's only had 60 games this season. He's walking at almost 9% of the time, which is better than I would have thought. But then you look at his batted ball profile, and nothing really jumps out at you except he's hitting the ball hard 20% of the time, which is pretty low. And then he also only has a 304 BABIP. And for a guy like that, you want to see that significantly higher, I would imagine, considering his speed. And if, you really, if you're not hitting the ball hard, you're not getting any luck with your BABIP because your batted ball profile is pretty crappy. Uh, I just don't know what he's going to give you. I'm not sure what his, if his splits are great either. Let's see what his OPS is versus lefties. And all, this is all small sample too, so you can't really jump into it too much. We but yeah, his splits samples. versus lefties are terrible. Yeah. How many at-bats is that? It's not, not a, a ton, lot, but, but it's, it's still I, ugly. And it always to answer your question, too. basically, no, I'm still skeptical of Malik Smith. I think he can be a, a really good fourth outfielder, and I don't think that's a... I think that's a good role to have if you can be a serviceable fourth outfield guy that can come in, play some defense, occasionally get on the bases and do some damage there. I mean, that's a useful role. But um, if the Braves are going to be relying on his bat every day in the lineup, I think that's a situation where you, you could probably do a little bit better. For sure. I asked this question to Scott, and I, I did not prep you on this, but I wanted to ask you, and you can just fly by the seat of your pants. Um, if you had to rank the four outfielders that they, the Braves currently have in terms of most likely to get traded to least likely, where, where would you go with that? You're talking about Ender, Malik Smith, Matt Kemp, and Nick Markakis. I know what my order is. I said I think I said it last week, but I wanted to ask you that. Who's okay. the most likely to get dealt? Who's the least likely to get dealt? Those guys. All right. So right off the bat, I feel like I'm putting Ender as the the, the least likely because it seems Accurate. like it seems like the team is really committed to uh, competing whether or not this is the, the moment they need to. That's beside the point. It seems like that's what they're going for. So I'm going to put him number four. Um, in my opinion on Matt Kemp is also a little bit different than everybody else in Braves country because he's seemingly a different player in Atlanta than he was here in San Diego. But he's I'm not, put, though. He's not. He's he's walking. He, he was not walking he does, in San Diego. He is walking, but the defense is still – anyway, we'll get, we'll get to Matt Kemp okay. later. Go, go <laughs> okay, ahead, I'm going to put Matt Kemp one. Just because I feel like maybe Copy thinks he can like boost his value a little bit and get something useful, uh, and he also doesn't have he hasn't been around the team as much to have maybe like a veteran presence kind of way to cling on as as maybe a guy like Marquez does. So I'll put Kemp most likely, then Marquez, then Malix, then Inciarte. Sure. What do you what do you think about that? I'm here for that. <laughs> how does that how does that stack up with Scott and you? Uh, I think Scott and I flipped it. It was I think Kemp is very unlikely to be traded because, really? because of the contract. Okay. It's, yeah, not they, it's not that they wouldn't want to trade Kemp. I guess Marquegas would be easier to trade. Oh, so much easier. I, I know. But... I think Matt Kemp is, you know, and the thing is, we'll talk about Kemp. I mean, we could probably just do it now, but yeah. I, I don't think there's much difference in overall value between Kemp and Marquegas, to be honest. Kemp is obviously a more valuable hitter because of the fact that he has that power and that, you know, quote-unquote lineup protection for Freddie Freeman, which is so overrated. But um, the contract is just bad. Like, and the Braves knew that when they traded him. That was the reason why they were able to get him was because they were giving away another awful contract to Hector Oliveira. Mm-hmm. But you know, having Kemp is fine. But if you if you turn around and try to trade him now, especially in the National League, that's a non-starter. And in the American League, like you're probably gonna have to eat that salary, and you don't want to do that. So I think they're gonna go in the next year. Like, I'd be pretty floored if they if they traded Matt if they traded Matt Kemp only because. 
it probably had to attach something to him or it's one of those deals. And they, they don't <laughs> seem interested in doing that. I think they're going to probably just roll with him, hopefully in left field. Hopefully he gets in better shape and is not so bad defensively. I think it's, the ship is sailed on him being okay defensively. I think he's, he's going to be bad forever. I saw him make a dive and catch the other day, and it was hilarious because he ran probably worse than Evan Gaddis ran in left field when he was playing. It's so. really, listen, like it's, and we'll just, we'll, we'll leave with that in a second when we get to ask Toppy, <laughs> but. Um, it's really bad. Like it's really, really bad. And I oh, think I, a lot, I think a lot of I know you know. I think a lot of people. <laughs> I think a lot of people think that because he's over overweight right now, that is suddenly going to be okay defensively if he loses weight. I mean, yeah, it, it would probably help his mobility. And such. He, he wasn't a good defender in 2011 when he was like at the peak of his athleticism. No, and like it's not. It's not going to be good. It's just. I, <laughs> it might be better. I'll say. I mean, I'm I'm all I'm all on board, and I want to see him get in better shape and see what happens, but that guy's not going to be a good defender. He's just not. Here's here's my quick take on Matt Kemp, the different player in Atlanta. He had uh, 16 walks with the Padres and 431 plate appearances, and in 192 plate appearances with the Braves, he has 15 already. A 285 OBP with the Padres and a 344 with Atlanta. That's like crazy different, and I'm wondering if it's something to do with the fact that the Braves lineup is much worse honestly not much worse but it, it's weird how he just suddenly started walking when he when he got with the Braves I don't understand that yeah I mean it's probably something to do with lineup because there's not there's not a lot behind him um yeah. to be honest but at the same time like I I like Kemp's bat I kind of always have the OBP stuff was I mean even if you told me he was gonna have a 310 on base percentage I'm cool with that if he hits if he has a 500 slugging which is what he's done for this entire mm-hmm. year so I mean, you kind of know what you're going to get offensively. He's a he's a league average or better hitter, even w- even with the ugliness in terms of OBP, which is just fine. It's just the defense is man, it's bad. Uh, yeah. You know, we'll, we can move off of that. But I wanted to <laughs> yeah, ask we, you we don't have it. to talk about Matt Kent. <laughs> no, <laughs> we I, talked about him like more than I I expected to, to be honest. But it's fine. It's worth talking about. And honestly, that leads into something else we wanted to bring up, uh, and we're going to go out of order here. Uh, but alas, it, it makes some sense. Uh, John Capolella did a, a hashtag ask copy session this week. If you want the full write up on this, we did it at talkingchop.com. The great Ivan, uh, put this thing together in. Ex- yeah, that's ex- worth a read. It ex- was fun. Excruciating detail. That's my man. So congratulations on that. Go read that thing. But I want to pick out a couple questions that, uh, copy answered that got sort of drew the most ire, the most attention. Uh, I'll leave with the one about Kemp because we just talked about Matt Kemp. Mm-hmm. Um, copy, you know, essentially was asked about what he said about Kemp, which is basically that he needed to get in better shape, et cetera, et cetera. And copy essentially walked that back in the, in a tweet, uh, saying that it was short sighted to make that comment about Matt Kemp and to say that he's been, and I quote terrific on and on, on and off the field. Um, we just <laughs> talked about that. Um, terrific on the field is debatable, but, um, I thought it was interesting that, that copy did walk that cause it's something I actually love that he said publicly yeah. about Kemp and same thing about John Hart. John Hart said, said a very similar thing on the on a broadcast about Kemp. Uh, they were pretty vocal about his uh, his lack of conditioning and I was just interested to see what you thought about him walking that back publicly even after it sort of caused a stir in the first place. Even if, you know, not the best thing as far as, far as diplomat, uh, d- diplomacy from Copy, but uh, I think it's yeah. probably smart PR-wise, but I'm, I'm hoping that he still sticks with it behind the scenes. No, I definitely think he is sticking with it behind the scenes, and it didn't surprise me at all. I think before you saw Copy step into this role, he was known for being a guy who was very uh, talkative with the media. He was always kind of an open-minded guy. And one of the biggest worries 
uh, at least I heard about with with them with Copy moving into the general manager role was just him being the vocal piece of the team. Uh, he he really, I guess he's not as polished and maybe as guarded as some of the other guys are, and that's normally what you expect with a team. And Copy is just not that guy. And I think he's already been burned a little bit from his honesty. You get the Freddie Freeman comment that he had that he kind of had to talk about chopping his arm off or whatever. But uh, I feel like he just realized it wasn't probably in the best interest of the team to to make those comments public. There's no reason uh, for the GM to talk about what a player needs to do as far as with his fitness. I mean, if if that's understood between him and the player, I feel like that's all you need to have. So it doesn't surprise me. Uh, I don't think it's too big of a deal, anything to look into too much, though. It's not. It's just worth noting, I think. Yeah. And we, we obviously just talked about Kemp for a while, so I wanted to bring that up. And yeah, yeah, I think with copy, sorry, sorry to cut you off, but I think with copy in general, like he can be too honest at times. And I know, like some people might think that that's not possible, but like you don't want to. You don't obviously you don't want your fans knowing everything that you actually think as a general manager. You don't want that. But yeah, I love. I mean, especially our our uh, our fan base and especially our writers absolutely love that he does this kind of stuff. The ask copy mm-hmm. stuff is gold for us. And I love that he does it, but at the same time, there's something to what you're saying is that he's too honest. Um, and and you, you got to know if you're him going into something like this, especially in a season that's been this rough, that everything you said is going to get even more attention because there's just nothing else going on. So Copy brings up anything specific about a player or this kind of comment about Kemp, it's going to get double the coverage that it would normally get. And uh, he, I think he's learning already. Uh, you know, I, I think about a podcast he did with Jonah Carey early in the year where he was super duper open, and it was an mm-hmm. awesome podcast. But I was yeah, like, no, he's man, a great what is guy. He, what is he it's saying? It's awesome. <laughs> uh, so, I, you know, I think John Hart's probably like, hey, man, calm down. <laughs> or Sherholt. Somebody, somebody's probably telling him to chill out, I think. but no, that's, I, That that's wouldn't surprise me at all. They kind of need to, to keep him in line. But I think Copy is a really genuine dude, and he's a, a super smart guy. And it's nice to, to be able to see – uh, his thoughts kind of in such a raw manner, like with the, the ask copy thing. I know it's one of the most exciting things that any of the GMs do across baseball. I love that he does it, but I, I do feel like they're going to try to be a little bit more guarded with him. For sure. And there's uh, there's two more questions in the ask copy that I wanted to bring up to you. The first one was he was asked, uh, what are you most disappointed with this season? And he answered very frankly, the progress or lack thereof of our starting pitchers. I thought that was again a very, very uh, frank response and one that I agreed with. But what do you think about the overall sentiment about the lack of development there? I, I presume he's talking about guys like uh, Whistler, Fultonavich. Who else would he, I mean, Aaron Blair maybe. I, I don't know what I else mean, he could be looking. I mean, because obviously Julio has been great for most of the year, so we'll take him out of this. But the young guys, I presume, is what he's talking about. Yeah, I assume. I mean, you look at all those young guys. You mentioned Whistler, Fultonavich, and Blair. But even with Tyrell Jenkins, I mean, he hasn't been great. Uh, Williams Perez. I don't know if the expectations were there for him. There to it is, the Williams but, Perez reference. We have to do but, that every week. But no, I mean, I, I, I don't know if this is maybe more blunt than people were expecting him to be. But he's right. Like you want to see guys take steps forward. I know I was big on Matt Whistler, and you look down at his stats right now. He's dealing with a five ERA and peripherals that kind of back that up. Um, and these are the guys who you're expecting to be in your rotation moving forward. You want to see that progress. Again, if they're expecting to compete in 2017, you need them to have that progress. So um, maybe a little bit more blunt. Actually, I don't even know. Like, like he just kind of said it how it was. And again, this is like what Copy does. But, I mean, he's right. Like, is there anyone, any of the young guys who you can look at and say, like, oh, this guy made progress? I know Fultonevich, he's had some starts where he's really looked like the dude. 
Um, but I mean, I think he nailed it. Yeah, I think it's it's generally he's obviously accurate out here. I would say Fulte's made strides for sure. Like you know, he's like he's almost I think it's like one and a half WAR, one point two WAR, which is not not great by any means, but certainly much better than last year where he had an ERI near six. Uh, I think Fulte's ERA is like somewhere in the four four range, which is not again not good, but some certain some encouraging signs there from Fulte. But you're right. I mean, Whistler is kind of stagnated. Perez yeah. is a non-entity, as we've talked about. <laughs> I will say that the the two times I've watched Whistler's starts in in his entirety this season, his slider has been filthy, and I'm pretty sure it's his best two starts of the year. So I'm completely biased for Matt Whistler, as I was before. I'm still pro Whistler. I still think he can pull it around. Uh, and then with Fultonevich, I I saw a couple of his starts, and his breaking stuff really looked like it had taken steps forward uh, from what I saw last year. But it seems like it's just a case of kind of putting together this stuff consistently and going out and doing it on a, a day-in and day-in basis instead of flashing it. I mean, this is the point where you want to try to see that success translated over a, like a regular period of time, not just kind of showing what you can do every five starts maybe. I'm still in on Fulte like big time. I've seen him sort of be lights out for four innings and then come apart in the fifth. That's the kind of stuff that, you know, a little bit more a little bit more seasoning can certainly help with. So I'm I'm still encouraged on Fulte. I'm, you know, Whistler, I think maybe my expectations have dropped a little bit about him during the season, but at the same time, I think he's a major league starting pitcher. Like I don't think he's as bad as he's been this year. Even if he ends up being a four or five, which I think is probably his destination at this point, sadly. Mm-hmm. Um he's he's a major league starter. Like you can get away with Whistler in your rotation and be fine. I just don't think he has the upside of a lot of the other guys. He just happened to yeah. arrive first, so you know, so he gets a little yeah, bit more extra attention. I don't know if he ever got the uh, that high ceiling that uh, some of the, these other guys have been talked about as having. So I think that's definitely fair. And I think you're right; he's probably more of a back back of the rotation kind of guy. But man, when I see him throwing that slider out there with that that sharp late break, it really gets me excited. But yeah, I think it's just with Whistler. I, I, he can't miss bats with anything except for. I mean, his changeup's okay, but it's. Yeah, I've, I've never been impressed with his change. For somebody that has his kind of stuff, I said this over and over again: is that you have to have just you know, I, I think maybe not maybe not elite control, but very very good control and command. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't. I don't think he has it. It might come, but mm-hmm. like his walk rate's going to have to be minuscule for him to be a good starting pitcher. And I just don't think he's going to get there. I mean, it's very hard to do. It's really hard to pitch at a high level when you're striking out six guys per nine. It's just hard. Yep. No, so, you're right. It's just you, you got to be a unique type of guy. And I, don't, I just don't think he's that good with the command and location and things that you need to be elite at. You know, you, you get the joking comparisons to Greg Maddox, but even even the, <laughs> even like, pri- yeah, like prime Jair Jurgens, though, <laughs> like that's another one that's actually been like a real comp is like prime Jair Jurgens. Where like he was just hitting every spot, like his 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 stuff was never great. But when he was good, it was because he was just drilling every spot. And his stuff was not, you know, it's, you have to have that kind of control though. And we we saw with Jurgens when that when he lost that, it was over in a hurry. So mm-hmm. it's Whistler's going to have to. There's no margin for error, which is why I don't think he's going to be great. But you and Zach Dillard are still flying the flag, and I, I'm proud of you guys. There we go, Zach. Uh, <laughs> anyway, we'll get we'll get off of uh, Matt Whistler and the experience. We'll finish off the ask copy portion of the program. Uh, I want to throw one more into this shortly after you're done with this. Just oh, saying. we got one more. Perfect. Yeah, uh, uh, all right. <laughs> the question was for copy. I'm sure you can't say names, but any early trade targets for the off season? Uh, this is my editorial. He obviously can't say names. Anyway, uh, the answer was starting pitching and parentheses at least two. <laughs> 
and parentheses and catching will be our focus. So no surprise about catching being in there, but I think the obviously the noteworthy thing here is him is Copy saying that at least at least two starting pitchers would be in the plans for trade targets slash free agency additions. That will raise some eyebrows. Yeah, I definitely think, and especially when you consider that they've they basically decided to go out and get as many pitchers as they could to kind of build their system up. That's how the rebuild was built around getting all these starting pitchers. I saw a lot of people kind of surprised that they were going to then go try to acquire some starting pitchers in the free agent market. But, I mean, you look at you look at their needs, and you definitely need some pitching there unless you expect all your young guys to just come in. And as we've seen from the 2016 season, you can't really expect that to happen. But are there any guys that just jump jump off the list in your mind as, as guys that they're going to target or that you think they should target? No, it's just it's so hard to figure this stuff out in terms of trade targets because of the mm-hmm. fact that like you don't know who's available and you don't know who on the Braves they're willing to trade because obviously I think Copy's willing to trade anybody, mm-hmm. but some of the guys that you want are going to command big time prices if they're even available in terms of you know packages and this is the kind of this answer just doesn't make a ton of sense to me in that I think it's way more likely that they're going to sign. They might trade for one guy. I can't imagine them pulling off two trades for actual starting pitching, like that's in one off season. That just seems kind of wishful. Like that's the best way to do it if you want to have mm-hmm. good starting pitching because free agency is a disaster in terms of starting pitching most of the time. And if it's not, it's because you're paying huge money. But pulling off two trades in one off season, like I know they have a lot of assets, but man, like you're going to be overpaying and or just reckless and i just this is not going to play well i know it already hasn't this happened a couple days ago it hasn't played well and i kind of understand that i just i'm with copy that this team needs starting pitching in order to to compete i just don't think it's realistic that they're going to be able to actually pull off two trades and and if you're talking about a free free agent of any of any repute like it's going to be a low-end guy it's going to be somebody in, in the bud norris category yeah, I'm looking at the, the list right now. It's, ugly, it's not man. very impressive. I it's mean, when 37 year old blistered Rich Hill is the guy that looks the Hard best. Pass. Like, no, thank you. <laughs> um, but no, I think that I think these are going to be more lower profile than I guess a lot of people are are thinking. Like these aren't going to be trades where he blows the system and goes after Jose Fernandez or something. Like, like I would imagine that they're mid tier back end of the rotation guys who are going to provide you innings. Is kind of what I got from this like do you think they're going to go for a high profile pitcher on the trade market and on all this is just conjecture too like it's so hard to to like talk about this ed- like with some sort of intelligence like we have no idea what they're going after obviously yeah i always want to preface that so i'm glad you said that but yeah I, maybe they aim for the moon and go after chris sale or something like at the same time though i think brace fans need to, be, need to be prepared that if they actually target someone at that level or even close to that level the package that they're going to have to give up is going to be massive. Like, yeah. it's, it's one of those things where I'm not sure that that makes a ton of sense unless you find that perfect guy who's A, available, and B, under control for long enough where it's worth it. Because you don't want to go – going all in for 2017 is not going to happen. And if it does, it's an absolute mistake. So you need a guy who's under control for you know three, four, five years – to make it worth paying a King's Ransom and prospects. And I'm just not sure that guy's out there. Maybe say, I mean, sales, the one guy you kind of hear banning about because of the off, the off field stuff where he's kind of a crazy person maybe. Um, and he could be available from Chicago. But aside from that, like all the elite guys are either uh, bad contracts or because, you know, I think about like a guy like, like Strasburg or somebody that has a bad deal because of the injuries or there might be free agents in a year. And you're not going to trade a ton of stuff when you're not going to be able to sign that guy. Yeah, no, I don't. I just don't know how much they'd be willing to trade too, because 
like it comes back to like when you think you're going to be competitive for me. Like I feel like I think the Braves are going to be competitive later than the team themselves thinks they're they're ready to compete. Like if 2017, if they think they're going to be ready, like I'm skeptical of that. You still don't have a good lineup. You don't have like the bullpen is your best area, and it's not great either. Like you're not a good team. You're one of the worst teams in the league this year. I don't I don't see how you expect to kind of just flip the switch and get ready for 2017. It seems it seems too soon for me, and I don't know why you would kind of blow up the farm a little bit in these trades to get two pitchers. They won't. They, they're not going to do that. I, just, I know they're not going to blow up the farm, but, like, I don't I don't know. I just don't I don't get it if, if you're trying to go all out in trades. That's why I, I feel like they're just going to be smaller, like, yeah, lower tier. Yeah, I'm going to predict uh, – this is a reckless prediction. I'm going to predict that they, they do trade for one starter uh, this offseason. I don't think it's going to be an elite guy, but it'll be a real starter. And then they're going to sign a Bud Norris type. They're going to sign some very, very fringy guy that they hope to get 100 innings out of before they trade midseason. That's the plan. That's, that's my prediction. We'll see if it happens. But, I, you know, ultimately, if, you, if you're packaging these, these pitchers together for a trade, you want it to be for a bat. You know, that's, the whole, yeah. <laughs> that's the whole point of doing this is that, you yeah. know, trade, trade three or four of these guys for a real bat. That's what you want to do. That's that's why I mean they they've said this over and over again. That's why you draft all this pitching. That's why you trade for all this pitching, so you can package it later, and hopefully you know hopefully three or four of these guys arrive out of the fifteen twenty that exist, <laughs> and then after that you trade you trade the rest of them for bat for bats. It's, just, it's a simple plan. It's not bat simple, but as as I'm making it sound, yeah. But you don't want to do the all in move for a pitcher because pitchers are so volatile, man. That's just not a good idea. Yep, I agree one hundred percent with that. Anyway, and, uh, that's, uh, you know, oh, yeah, you, you, have, you have a question. Yeah, you have one more my last copy. one was Fire just away. that Copy had a great, someone asked him his favorite Twitter accounts, and he said uh, he liked the, the humor ones. He mentioned Dio Boner, which I'm not even sure still exists anymore, and then Stanislav Ifgals. And I've been on Stan's back for a while now, and I was just so disappointed that Copy didn't tag him in it. So I'm going to do that for you guys. If you want some, some Braves humor in your life, follow Real Stan Ifgals on Twitter. Definitely worth it. And uh, I know Mark Bowman and Kevin McAlpin get a kick out of this guy as well. So uh, when those two guys plus Copy say he's one of the best Twitter followers, he needs more than 40 followers. I, I just I wanted say, to pump him real quick. <laughs> I, I can say with conviction that Mark Bowman is not going to hear this podcast, but shout out to Mark Bowman also. He just might. He might very well hear it. I might send it over to him and say, hey, give this a listen. Well, See if you're on it, his former protege, if you're on it, I think he might listen to it. But aside <laughs> from that. We need to get him on here. Listen, if you hadn't left, we'd already have Mark Bowman on. That's all I'm saying. All right, <laughs> let's move along because we have to, uh, you know, you are on the West Coast and there's probably some tacos to be eaten for you at some point. Um, all right, a couple more p- news items before we get to the mailbag. I do want to hit on AJ Brzezinski's bizarre retirement. Uh, I think it was last week this all happened, um, but it was reminded to me this weekend because Brzezinski was moved to the 60-day disabled list, which ends his uh, Braves contract tenure. Uh, he is not officially retired, but there was a moment in time last week where Dave O'Brien of the AJC uh, retired him for him uh, <laughs> by, by reporting that he had retired by handing out cigars and stuff in the locker room. That was quickly refuted by a couple of sources, and DOB backed off of it. Shout out to DOB. I'm not making fun of you, I promise. Uh, but you know, in the end, Brzezinski's probably retiring. That's, that's the moral of the story. He's 39 years old. Uh, he was one of the worst players in baseball this year, to be frank. Uh, mm-hmm. He was good last year. There's no, there's no debating that at all. That he earned that contract. 
last year because he was so good and it was never going to be sustainable and he found that out quickly but negative 0.9 war for the year a 41 wrc plus uh i think it's over for aj um let's just pour one out for aj Przinski. Yeah, no, I remember hearing this news. We were in the Padres clubhouse when this kind of this DOB stuff broke, and, and I was just like, what? Like, this doesn't make any sense. Why would the guy decide to retire with, like, a month left in the season? Like, like why don't you just wait it out? Maybe he just really needed to get that rally beer, but it was kind of a funny situation. <laughs> but, no, if you just, like, looking back at A.J. Pierzynski's career, like, it's incredible how long this guy played, like, as a regular catcher, like, Catcher is one of those positions where you really get worn out pretty quickly. And this guy, I mean, I don't really know where he's going to be as far as accolades uh, once he's done. But he's two-time All-Star, won a Silver Slugger. He got MVP votes in his 2006 season. So definitely a, a long and solid career for him. But as you said, like he was, he was not that good this year. And I think we all can admit that last year was a bit of a fluke. I enjoyed it, though. Honestly, yeah, it was like fun he, to watch. He was a, a a ray of sunshine in 2015, where there were not many rays of sunshine. So uh, AJ will be, will be remembered for that. This year was not good. Him and Eric, him and Eric Ibar will be uh, linked forever. In that uh, they were not good in 2016. <laughs> really not good. Really not good. <laughs> At but the same time, it's fine. Uh, shout out to AJ. He's probably done. So we'll. This probably they were just. Again, they were but. just helping the uh, the the path to the number one pick. They were just. Yeah, the tank is on, on man. Uh, okay, last thing before we get to the mailbag. Freddie Freeman's a dad, which is cool. Congratulations. Yeah, congrats to Freddie. To Freddie. That's awesome. Uh, and his wife, um, they had a baby this week. Uh, and that's just a conduit to present. We talked about Freddie a lot, so I, I don't want to do too much on him. But he's in the midst of a 22-game hitting streak and a 38-game on-base streak right now. The guy's out of his mind. He has a 297, 394, 557 slash line with 30 home runs and a WRC mm-hmm. plus near 150. Like he's just this is the best year of his career, and uh, I, earlier in this early in the season, I, I remember you and I talking about Freddie Freeman having a down year and being worried, and suddenly he has the best year of his career. So that's yeah, how absurd he's been since like the like the middle of May. He just flipped a switch and just went off. I feel like the last two months he's been like the best hitter in the game, and uh, I mean he should be top five in MVP voting this year if it went if MVP voting. Uh, went how I wish it would, which is just kind of like best player. But, I mean, in the National League, he's fourth with a 5.2 war, tied with Nolan Arenado. And like you said, I mean, best year of his career, the power numbers he's shown this year are really the numbers that kind of everyone's been hoping he could provide as a first baseman. But uh, how terrible would this be if Freddie Freeman wound up having his best career in uh, the year 2016 with the Braves? I'm 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 actually worried about it now. I'm glad you said that because there's a very real possibility <laughs> that's going to happen. I mean, yeah, I, like that's scary, right? Freeman. Like, I mean, you mentioned it. I think Freeman's a top five MVP candidate this year. He won't finish there because the Braves are terrible and people don't vote right. But yep. he's been awesome, yep. and like I think this is a ceiling. To be honest, like this is actually higher than I thought a ceiling was. Uh, maybe. I, I don't, yeah, I think you're right. Like I don't know how much more you could actually expect of him. Maybe like maybe he replicates this uh, another time or two in his career or maybe he has a slight uptick, but there won't there's not much more growth to happen, I'll tell you mm-hmm. that right now. Um and I, it's not wasted because you don't want to say that, but I just want <laughs> Freddie it is sort of, I understand. <laughs> I, I don't want to no, say you're that right. Freddie, like it's but... not wasted for him. Like it's good for him to have this this season. Like he's not going to think of it as a waste and none of his teammates or the team itself is going to think of his season right now as a waste. You're right. And the good thing is about Freeman is that, uh, you know, his, his hitting 
the power this 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 year's peak power is probably at the top of his uh of his range of outcomes but at the same time like he was awful in April like awful so that just kind of tells you like maybe there is a little bit more growth if he's just more consistent because he's been if not the best hitter in baseball since like mid-May one of them mm-hmm. uh, at least in the NL I mean I guess Mike Trout's kind of on another level for everybody else but um, Freddie's been that unreal at the play, and I'm because we're not paying that much attention. I don't want to say you. I mean, you and I are, but a lot of fans are kind of checked out right now on the major league team, especially. I, I think it's kind of fly, flying under the radar. Unless you were like, I went to do an MLB awards thing for another website this week, and I was like, wow, I am like considering Freddie Freeman for third in the NL MVP award. Yeah. and that's no, I definitely think that like he should be third, fourth, fifth, like right in that area after Chris Bryant and um, Corey Seager. Uh, Murphy as well, yeah. Yeah, those Murphy's been guys, crazy too. Those, those three guys, yeah. I think, think are, are are solid top three. But Arenado and Freeman, like, yeah, and it's just like you look at his numbers and the two fifty nine ISO comes out of nowhere. But I remember reading that piece that Ivan did, and I'm sure all of you guys listening have read that piece as well that talked about some of the changes he's made at the plate, being a little bit more selective. Um, I don't know if you can expect this much power going forward, but it seems like there's a legitimate change, whether that's just in season and he kind of is riding a hot streak or not. Like it's definitely put all the worries we had earlier this year behind us. I'll say that. And this is just a reminder that like, even if he is worse than this, like significantly worse, he still earns that contract as mm-hmm. much as, for as much as that contract is massive uh, in terms of Braves terms, you know, he'll be, he'll be making somewhere in the mid 20 million that like, he's, you know, this year alone, he's probably worth $40 million or more. So like it's, it's one of those things where the contract looked a little bit a little bit worrisome earlier in the year, and it's no longer worrisome, barring injury. Uh, because, you know, first base, like, his defense is not ideal, but it's not awful. And, like, he's going to age well, I think. He's going to hit forever. Yeah, no, I think you're play. right. Uh, his contract is definitely less worrisome than Jason Hayward's right now. So, Oh, I don't want to talk about it. Let's move <laughs> on. Uh, all right, to, to the mailbag immediately. Nice segue. Let's pivot. Let's get out, let's get out of that. <laughs> Uh, all right, from at JM Kaz five, he asks, uh, "Do what? Basically, are there any dark horse prospects that could make it to MLB at some point next year?" So I think I'm going to eliminate Ruiz and Albies from this conversation because those guys are going to be up next year at some point, barring <laughs> disaster. Anybody else come to your mind as far as guys who could potentially make the roster by the end of 2017? So this this question is a little bit strange, just because dark horse prospect that we can expect to be up, like that kind of, it seems like it, it's like going against itself there. Like if if it's a guy we think is going to be up, you would assume he's not a dark horse Let's guy. Let's just take so guess, out a dark horse then. Give me give me prospects that you think will make it so, uh, aside from Ruiz or Albies. Oh man, and you you can say nobody. That's a reasonable answer, by the way. Uh, to so many of their guys that that are kind of the high profile guys are in the lower minors right now, so it's a little bit harder. Um, Lucas Sims is a guy that I don't think people should sleep on. I know he moved up to AAA and he kind of had a good start and then struggled a little bit, but he's a highly touted guy. He's got some pedigree that maybe if the if Lucas Sims is up, either he's doing really well or the rotation is still really bad, or both. Or both. Yeah, that's true. Um, so I, I guess say, he's a guy. I, let me say, I, I will say two names. I've got one, actually, when you're done with well, this. You, you go ahead. Maybe it's the same one I have. Go. Okay, I don't want to steal this, but uh, I guess Dustin Peterson. That was one of my two. Good. Yeah. Just, I mean, he seem, it seems like he's the best uh, hitter in the Braves minors in their entire system this year uh, from start to finish. So I feel like he's a guy that's, I mean, he was in Mississippi the whole year, too, so he's really not too far off. Shout out to Scott uh, Coleman, who is the world's biggest Dustin Peterson fan. 
Yeah, he's uh, been on him forever. And Dustin Pearson, he's old, he just turned 22 years old. A very, very, very solid season at Double A. Like he's not a spectacular prospect, not an elite guy by any stretch. But given this situation in the outfield, especially if the Braves lo- look to move on from Marquecas, which mm. is a real possibility, there could be room for a fourth guy uh, down the line. That could be, uh, and Peterson certainly the, I think the most likely outfielder to arrive uh, outside of Malik's, who's already there. So Peterson's a name to watch, and I think pitching wise, I still think Sean Newcomb uh, is a guy who could make it there by the end of mm-hmm. next year. Um, I, you know, he had not, he did not have a great year this year. I think he was on Keith Law's uh, list of guys who took a step back, which is not encouraging. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, he's 23 years old, has real stuff and was in double a for uh, almost 150 innings this year. So given the uncertainty of the rotation and Newcomb's prospect status would not surprise me at all if he was up. And that's a guy who is obviously a big name considering he was traded for Andrew Anderson Simmons. All right, I think I got one more I want to add in here, and he this this one actually is a bit of a dark horse, but he's a guy that I've been higher on than most, and I'm going to keep riding him and say Max Povsey. Uh He shouldn't be up next season, but if he has a really good year, <laughs> that I'm would be guy. aggressive. He, he bumped up to Mississippi late this year, uh, and he has like a 1.03 whip there, so he could theoretically, I guess, it would be aggressive as you said. But if we're talking dark horse, I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna put mine with Max Posey. Let's get weird. That's fine. All right. <laughs> Uh, next question is from at, at Virginia Jim on Twitter. Uh, he says third base is the biggest question on the team, which is certainly possible. Uh, should That's Rio it. Ruiz start in AAA to work on hitting left-handed pitching? And he also adds that platooning could hurt his development. What do you think about Rio as a platoon candidate? Is that a good idea given the development stuff that's mentioned here? What do you think about Rio? Uh, I know a lot of people have talked about having Rio – in a platoon next season. I think Scott's one of the bigger guys who's been talking about that lately. Um, I don't know. His With Rio Ruiz, we talked about this earlier before the season, his hitting mechanics has been something that he's always had to tweak with, and it's been a lot of work for him. Uh, and so to have the year that he's had is encouraging, but I also feel like he's a guy that I expect them to move slower with. Um, and I'm not really sure about platoons. Like, if he's a guy that you think could eventually be an everyday third baseman, I'm not sure if putting him in a platoon right when he gets to the majors is something you want to do. But at the same time, you could argue that uh, just having him come up and have some success against righties maybe is is the move for you. So I'm not really swayed either way. I don't know as much about this as the, the people who are going to be making the decision, obviously, but I'm... Uh, Excited to hear what you think about this. That's the divide. It's just what you said. If you think Rio is going to be a starting third baseman, if that's your expectation, if you're the, if you're the Braves front office, then I don't want to platoon him mm-hmm. because he's he cannot hit left-handed pitching right now. It's like it's horrific, even in the minor leagues, and it's going to get worse at the major league level. Um, so if you have visions of him being able to start every day down the line, he's going to have to be able to hit left-handed pitching better than he is now. Like there are guys who can succeed. Um, with big time splits, but his splits are like comical right now. Like it's not, <laughs> it's not good. So if you had that belief in him, then you have to go ahead and have him get at bats against lefties, either at AAA or in the majors. If not, if you think he's more of a bit like you know maybe a uh, a more of a role player type that does a platoon down the road, something like that, then sure, platoon him with Adonis Garcia or whoever at third base if you want to go cheap and because you because you know he's going to be able to hit right handed pitching. I think mm-hmm. that's a pretty safe assumption. So it's all about what you think about him. I think Rio, you give him a chance um, to earn the job in, in uh, spring training if, mm-hmm. because of the fact that you don't really have another option. Unless you sign, unless you sign or trade for someone, which is certainly still possible, 
even though Mark Bowman, we talked about it last week, uh, kind of crapped on the idea of signing a big-ticket third baseman because of the draft pick stuff, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, provided you don't do that, uh, Ruiz is your, I think he's your most attractive option internally. It doesn't mean it's going to be a good option, but he's certainly the most intriguing one. You, you kind of know what Garcia is now, and he's not a starting third baseman on a good team. So give, give Rio the opportunity to win the job. If he can't, you might come out and platoon him, or you might start him in AAA again. Yeah, I would. I kind of expect him to start in Triple A again, but again, I'm I'm much further behind uh, the Braves not being good again next year, so I don't really know why they would push him. But all signs point to them wanting to compete. But like you said, he's hitting 203 against lefties this year compared to 294 against righties with a uh, 522 OPS against the lefties and an 833 against righties. Pretty significant and drastic splits. That uh, like if you do expect him to. To be an everyday guy, I would assume I would think you leave him in AAA and let him work on that more. But there might be something like, and if you don't, I guess I don't know. I don't. I don't know if you want to restrict him to a platoon role this early. Do you? You know, I don't think so. I mean, again, it's different if they want to compete next year, which I yeah. I think a lot of that's lip service. To be honest, that the Braves I hope so. I really hope so. I think Copy, if you gave him true serum, has every knowledge that this is not a World Series contender and even a playoff contender next year. Uh, I just think he has to try to make it look that way because they're about to sell a new stadium and they have to sell tickets and do all those things. Um, I do think that he was blindsided by how bad the team was early this year. That's real. I don't think I don't think the front office thought that this team was going to be this awful. Yeah, I mean, we even we didn't think they were. No, be I thought they'd be bad, but not like really, really not, bad. Not worst team in the league. <laughs> yeah, well, and honestly, to be fair, they've played better in the second half, and they've been yeah. a, a respectable. Yeah, apparently, the offense has been like some of the best in the league since yeah, the offseason. Like, like, what's that? To be what's honest, wrong with that? I think the current <laughs> roster, like as constructed, probably would have won. You know, playing how you're playing now was probably like a seventy. Two, three, one team, which is not good, but it's not awful. Uh, and the offense has been so much better since Camp arrived and Dansby arrived and all those things. But at the same time, it's a lot of lip service. I think they're they're fully aware uh, internally this is not going to be a title contender, barring some massive moves. So giving being careful with Rio is the best thing I would imagine. Uh, if they come out, if they come out in a platoon, I know the prospect guys will not be happy about that because yeah. that's that's the quickest way to make sure that a guy never reaches potential is to limit him that way, that early. Yep. All right, and before we uh, oh we guys because we have two more left, one quick one that I'll I'll tee you up with is from at real Nate Walton on Twitter, and he asks: is, is there any obviously surefire number one pick that we can be excited about? And it should be noted before you answer that the Braves might not have a number one pick. Yeah, <laughs> but, I was about to kind of douse his hopes with cold water right there too, but I'm glad you mentioned it. And um, like there are there are two guys that I, or actually three guys that I think you should like maybe look out for. But it should be noted that it's super early. Like all of this is going to change by the time the draft actually gets here next year. But if you're really just into prospects and you kind of want to look out for a couple of guys, uh, the top prep guy right now for me and for most of the people that I've heard from is Hunter Green. It was a, uh, a two-way guy out of um, California, and I actually got to see him at the Perfect Game Classic that was at Petco Park, and this guy really showed why he's been so highly touted. I mean, he had like the, the fastest pitch at the event, and this is with like the top 52 best prep players in the country. He threw like 97.2 off the mound, and he also won a home run derby when he hit like the first five pitches he had out of the park. Not out of the park, but he hit them out with a, with a wood bat, so he's got a, a ton of tools. I wrote a little bit about him for Pipeline. 
Um, and the Baseball America guys have a lot of good stuff with him. He's a guy that I would look out for. Uh, I think most people expect him to be a pitcher when he's drafted. I think the ceiling is higher for him as a pitcher than a hitter. Um, but he's a shortstop on the uh, position player side of things. And then I talked to um, Josh Norris with Baseball America, and he thinks, like we were just talking random, like if you had to pick a number one guy, he said Alex Fido with Florida. And he's a guy that's been on the radar for a while. He struck out 133 batters and 104 innings in SEC ball, and that's really impressive. He's going to be a, a first-round guy, no doubt. But uh, it's just a matter of like how he does next season to see where he really falls. And then one guy I think that I just want to shout out just because I'm a UNC alum now uh, is J.B. Bukowskis. He was a guy that was going to be projected in the first or early second round out of high school, but he decided to go to UNC, and he's coming off a year where he struck out 111 batters in 78 innings. So like I said, it's, it's really early. All these are going to change, but those are some guys to uh, look into if you're really interested. UNC alum, Carlos Clazo. Yeah, scary. That's nice ring to it, my friend. Anyway... Uh, th- there you have it, the definitive breakdown of the top three. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> There's a long way to go. That's the, that's the big takeaway there. So don't don't zero in on one guy. There is no Bryce Harper in this class. Yeah, I, I should say that the top of this draft sounds like it's going to be better than last year, which was really like one of, not, not like the worst, but like there was no clear-cut top guy or even like top handful of guys. You watch yourself and, about Dansby Swanson. You watch yourself. This year should be better. Well, it wasn't even Dansby. It was Mickey Moniak. You're, you're oh, jumping out. Draft ahead. My apologies. <laughs> no, you're good. No, that, that draft. Was, so you should expect there to be more of like a standout guy or a couple of guys at the top. But like Brad said, there's no like like surefire Bryce Harper, like prodigal son of baseball this in this upcoming draft. Oh, yes. Draft talk in mid-September. That's what we yes. live for on this podcast. And uh, <laughs> last one, because this is going to be fun, I think. Uh, Dustin White on Twitter, uh, he didn't even ask a question, really. He just says, Snicker's <laughs> going to be the manager next year, isn't he? <laughs> and I, I laughed a lot, so I had to, I had to include this one. Good, shout out to Dustin White. Good question on that one. Uh, but we should <laughs> at least address this. Do you think Snicker has a chance to be the manager next year? I mean, I have no idea. But the way they played, like, you've got to – He's got to be considered for the job, and he's been around the team for a while. It sounds like everybody likes him, but I haven't been able to watch him on a day-to-day basis. He's no Andy Green, I can say that, but <laughs> what are your thoughts on it? I mean, I, I don't know why people are – like there are a lot of people I've seen that are really excited about Snicker, and I don't understand that. So if you could clear that up for me, that would well, be – let me say, I mean, Snickers got a good. He's apparently a great guy. I don't know him, obviously, but apparently a great individual and great human being. Uh, I should say, I should say that everybody says the same thing about Freddie Gonzalez. Everybody I can lo- back that up. Freddie. He was awesome. So being a great guy does not make you a great manager. Um, but I think most of the momentum for Snickers, obviously, coming coming with how much better the team has played. I would hesitate to give that credit to Snicker. I mean, maybe he deserves some credit because of the fact that they have played better. Um, I just don't think he's a good tactical manager in what I've seen. A lot of this stuff should be noted that it's a lot less uh, high leverage than a lot of stuff that Freddie dealt with and that the team's not trying to really win right now. But Snickers' lineup construction is not always great. It's bullpen management has been spotty. Um, there's stuff, the stuff that we can see, I don't think he's great at, to be honest with you. But the team is playing well, so I think he'll get an actual interview. I think he was always going to get an interview because he's an organizational guy. They like him. But I really, really hope the team either goes – honestly, I want to go outside the organization pretty badly on this one. I want a good tactical manager. I don't know that that guy exists in the organization, but I want the Braves to actually look around and not just look for a Bobby Cox guy. That's my 
hope. I love Bobby, but that's the last managerial hire was basically let's hire Bobby's guy in Freddie. Mm-hmm. So I want I want them to go look for the best tactical guy around. And if that doesn't happen, then I'll be disappointed. No, I kind of agree right there with you. I feel like we have similar thoughts on the managerial side of things. And again, I'm going to defer to you on your judgment of Snicker just because I haven't haven't really seen what he's about. I've just seen the uh, Twitter reactions to him. So yeah, it's not awful. I mean, I'm not. Like, I'm also not doing that my my daily lineup bashing tweets because <laughs> those are epic. Because the, te- the team is the team is not good, so that doesn't really help anybody to yell and scream about where Danny's hitting in the order. But uh, I'll say that it's not been great. <laughs> I would That's like to see editorial. them go after a guy who really like just gets the advanced stuff, like just like you just said, basically. Time, but it should please. it would just be nice for them to have a guy that like. I don't know that, that just shifts all the time or something. Just somebody who's like trying to be on the the cutting edge of what like what baseball analytics is about. I don't even want shifts. I want someone that's not going to hit the scrappy hitting middle infielder second. That's all I care about. <laughs> we haven't even gotten past lineup construction at this point. <laughs> You're right. I'm way yeah, too far ahead. At this like point. just someone who won't hit Daniel, Daniel Castro a second in the lineup. That's mm-hmm. all I want. Yeah, that stuff is frustrating. But I I feel like I should always say this when we talk about managers. I really think their role as far as like how good your team performs is overvalued both ways like they don't have that big of an impact and i do think you have to get a guy that is capable of like controlling the clubhouse and like doing all the stuff that you really can't quantify and that we really don't know about like there is something to that side of the job and i feel like that's a a lot an area that the sabermetric guys tend to just ignore that definitely needs to be taken into consideration but it would be nice to get a guy who's is saber friendly, I guess, is the, the simplest way to say it. Absolutely. And uh, all right. Well, with that, sir, I'm going to let you get out of here. But please plug your uh, San Diego Padres content. People need it in their yeah. lives. So um, we're wrapping up here. The Padres have had a season that's fairly similar to the Braves. Uh, they're not good at the major league level and have had some minor league success. But if you're really itching to read about Will Myers, um, you can go to Padres.com where you can find my writing as well as AJ Casavell, who's the MLB.com beat writer, the, uh, the Mark Bowman of San Diego, I could say. And you can follow me on Twitter at Carlos A. Colazzo. Uh, love interacting with the Braves guys. I feel like I'm still kind of a part of Braves, Braves country, even out here uh, out west, but only a few, make, few weeks uh, excuse me, in San Diego before I'm back on the East Coast. Um, but if you really need to know about the Padres, you can find me on Twitter there and at Padres.com. And there you have it, the definitive Carlos Clauso interview. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> thank you for joining me, sir. I appreciate it. Um, let me just say this for everybody who's listening. If you're not already subscribed to this podcast on iTunes, that would be a great idea. If you uh, want to get the podcast faster, it'll go up immediately when you... Uh, Whenever I upload it, you'll get it right away if you're uh, subscribed. And also, if you leave us a five-star review, that'd be cool as well. That would really help the show grow a great deal. Uh, so that's my that's my spiel for today. And obviously, every single podcast will be hosted on TalkingChop.com, which you should already be visiting on a daily basis for all your Atlanta Braves needs. Uh, with that, uh, thank you, Carlos, for coming on, sir. And uh, we'll be back again in just one short week, so stay tuned.